Drifties, how you doing? And welcome back to the Drift Space. I'm Rebecca. I'm Dave. I'm G. I'm surprised she let us introduce ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go again. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. That <laughs> so nice to be back on Rebecca's podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, you're my favorite jerk wads. So, uh, <laughs> love you. My second favorite jerk wad is Paragus. <laughs> oh, uh, oh! Speaking of Paragus, uh, wow! There's a transition for good, you. Good lead-in, man. That wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> so. Our topic today is another Dragon Ball Z movie. Try to contain your amazements. Correction, it's actually a Dragon Ball Super movie, not just any Dragon Ball Super movie. We're talking about the fan favorite Dragon Ball Super Broly movie. Now, who is Broly, you may ask? If you're referring to the big, bulky, super powerful Super Saiyan with no pupils that has anger issues because of a poorly written origin and can only utter one word throughout the entire movie. Well, that's not him anymore. Thank God. Now we have a much better version of the big, bulky, and powerful Super Saiyan with no pupils. This time he actually had people called writers behind him to, de- to develop a proper origin story and character arc. And believe it or not, he... He can actually talk and say other words besides Kakarot. In fact, that is the one word he does not say in the entire movie. Job well freaking done, writers and Toriyama. <laughs> I never noticed that. I just watched the movie. I didn't notice he actually didn't say Kakarot in the entire <laughs> no, movie. No. That's, that's good. I like that. I like that. I mean, we, we finally have a proper Broly with a proper background that you can actually sympathize with. Granted, the movie has... Uh, as a whole, has some plot points I didn't necessarily agree with, but they're very minor and easily overlooked. So before I go off on my usual ramblings and end this podcast before it begins, I'll have G here <laughs> take the floor. <laughs> what do? You- Why? Thank you so much. I, I feel I feel so empowered right now. Uh, yeah. So. Just a few things, you know, why is this movie so huge? You know, it's it's in the Japanese Academy Awards. This movie was nominated for Best Animated Film of the Year. It lost, but the fact that it was nominated is pretty huge. Uh, It's the highest grossing Dragon Ball movie of all time, uh, worldwide and domestic. In America, even though there were no television ads and it was a limited release, the movie broke the in into the top five at the American box office upon its release. It was huge. And, you know, I'm shocked we haven't had a follow up yet. But, you know, why was it so huge? And this movie was a big deal for fans be- due to the popularity of the title character, Broly. And I'll admit, when it was first announced, you could probably hear an audible groan from me no matter where you were in the world. I, I-, I never liked the Broly character. I thought the Broly character from the original three movies was flat and uninteresting and only popular because he was this overpowered juggernaut with with a cool design. The, the, the reason everyone liked Broly was very surface level, right? It, it had nothing to do with the depth of the, his character because no one talked about the depth of his character. There was no depth. It was always, rawr, Broly, so powerful. He was just a very uninteresting villain to me, motivated purely because Goku cried a lot in a crib next door when they were infants. That's not a joke at all. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, how, how old were the Sproli when they finally met? They were weeks old, maybe. <laughs> yeah, and then when they when they finally met as grown humans, they were, had to be like, he remembers what, 40? Him. <laughs> He's like, oh, hey, you're that little jerk that cried all night. I'm going to beat the living crap out of you for three movies. <laughs> but, you know, as we got closer and closer to the release and rumors kept pouring in, I slowly realized 
that this was an opportunity to reinvent the Broly character, to get into the mind of this guy and find something relatable to latch on to. Because he used to just be a character that was out of control and there was no exploration as to whether or not being out of control made you inherently evil. I don't know why being out of control would just automatically make you evil, but there it is. Or, or make you beneath notice of something better. I guess is what I'm trying to really get at. And the original Broly just went straight to, oh, he's out of control and boom, he's evil. This movie, this new movie, which is the first Dragon Ball movie that uses the super title, this movie explored the idea of his power being sort of a handicap, allowing us to know a character and then showing whether or not having that handicap makes you beneath notice for something better. Rebecca... When when we only had the original Broly film, I believe it was the eighth Dragon Ball Z film, you mentioned the tragic idea of Broly being that he had an impairment of some sort, that his overwhelming power made him that way, that he was born like someone with severe autism and people with autism function in a way that makes it hard to relate to others. But, you know, many are also very brilliant, far more intelligent than well, anyone on this podcast, but communication and social interaction is harder for them, right? Now, bravo, by the way, for, for we, this is a discussion we've had off cast, but um, bravo, by the way, for pulling that out of the original Broly. But I don't think we could really have that conversation until this movie. I think we can have that conversation here because of the way the character acts. He's quiet. He's reserved. He clearly has some form of PTSD going on with hints of abuse from his father. And he has he has no way to control the raw power we see from him in this movie. He may be the most powerful fighter in the entire franchise, but once he lets loose, there's no reining him in, right? Rebecca, could you kind of elaborate on some of your thoughts regarding that topic? I, I have more to say, but I'm, I'm kind of taking over here. It was you that came up with this idea with the original movie. And I thought, I didn't think there was enough there in the original movie to really support that. And then this movie comes out and I'm like, oh, okay, you got a point. <laughs> okay, so a while back, I I watched the original movie, uh, the legend, Dragon Ball Z, Legendary Super Saiyan. And for some reason, I got this idea, okay, Broly as a baby didn't get, I don't know, the proper sleep or whatever as a baby. And that's in turn can lead to some mental incapacities in, in a child, but at the same time, his power, his power alone was, I mean, like you said before, it was very, very unusual, very... Unique. Yeah, you, unique. Yeah, it, it, was, it was something different, right? It, it was something that was hard to control, it was something that was hard to convey. Yeah, but at the same time, even though it handicapped him, it was, it was a gift as well. I mean, he was brilliant as a fighter and it was Paragus who said in the movie that he was a brilliant fighter that would make most Saiyan's fathers proud but there was something much darker about him right yeah and and I kind of want to get into that that the power as a handicap in a sense and and it's very in the new movie which I want I want I'd rather talk about the new movie than the old one because I don't really like the old movie but it, it, it's very reminiscent to what I've seen referred to as autism meltdowns. Uh, those with ADS, autism disorder syndrome, have a hard time expressing themselves and their abilities verbally, and in a fit of frustration, end up going on these long, enraged tantrums. And for those who have worked with children with autism, I had to with with uh, many when I coached gymnastics. These kids are strong, and there's no calming them down. You, you essentially have to wait for the meltdown to finish and keep them from hurting themselves or anyone around them. And this is not a new comparison for the film. You know, many have talked about this topic in relation to the Broly character in this film. Rebecca picked up on it before the movie was released. I remember Mary, who was with us when we saw the film in theaters, she worked with someone who just lost their son who had ADS and it hit her kind of hard. Uh, Rebecca and I have had family members with similar issues. Uh, my coaching background, I think this movie is sort of brilliant in the way it weaves in the idea of mental social handicaps through the franchise's obsession with powers and power-ups. And in this case, it finally went too far. I guess there really is such a thing as too much power because it became such a handicap for the title character. 
Right. Yeah. I think Broly is a beautiful example of any child with severe autism or any mental handicap because he's, like you said, he's very quiet and very reserved and always has to do what his dad tells him. And he's not even allowed to speak to some people. Well, what people has, has he spoken to lately? He lives in an on an abandoned planet. Right. Where his only friend and, was, uh, was a, some monster there. It's a some giant, giant cat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was a giant snake dog. Uh, <laughs> it was a cat. And his name is Ba. Ba deserves your respect. <laughs> I like Ba. Until your father cuts off his ear. Until your father his cuts ear. off his ear. He, he's a tragic character. Is what it comes down to. But I think there was a lot there to mine that was very relatable to real world social handicaps that we've seen in people here so for me you, know, you t we talk a lot about uh almost this this disability aspect of broly and how he's stunted in that arena but to me like i see that as a a product of his father's psychological abuse and physical abuse because his father cut off his tail frieza even makes it a point to talk about oh did he go mad after that you know I think it was that disability was put upon by his father and through that and all of the other psychological abuse that he endured from Paragus over the years on this, like you said, abandoned planet. He has this Stockholm syndrome scenario uh -huh. where his father is his captor. Basically, this is why we can't have nice things. This is why we can't have friends. Um, he, his father didn't want him having things that cared about him. His father was concerned about one thing and one thing only, and that was making Broly like as powerful as he possibly could. He didn't care about Broly developing his own social skills. He didn't care about Broly experiencing love and care and compassion. He didn't care about any of that. So to me, I, I definitely see the relationship between someone being on the spectrum and Broly. But to me, I see it more as a product of the psychological abuse that Broly endured. And it's not until Chile comes along that he actually starts to experience those things, which is kind of why for me, I see Chile as the hero in Dragon Ball Super Broly. She's mm. this compassionate new anchoring mechanism for Broly. Uh, she took off his chains and she showed him care. She summoned, the, she, she summoned Shenron to save him. Right. So I, I love that. I know I just made a giant transition there, so I apologize if you had something to jump in. With. No, no, but, I, I think it's great. I, I honestly, I think it's both. I think it's both the psychological trauma from his father and his the handicap of the, the immense mouth power that he was born with. I, I, oh, I sure. do agree with you. I agree with you. I think you have some great points. And like, I didn't see Goku and Vegeta as the hero in this. I saw them as almost an accessory. I think it were a really cool accessory to what happens in this, but I see Chile as the hero as, as opposed to seeing our typical Goku, Vegeta, you know, our hero, our typical hero gang coming in to save the day. Chile was this almost this ever present figure on the sidelines trying to figure out a way to save Broly to get him out of this mess because she saw the abuse that he was enduring from his father almost right off the bat. So that was one thing that I really appreciated about this was to having was to have that alternative perspective of you don't have to be a Satan to save the day. Wow. Spot on. I love that. Yeah. Jared, did you have some things you wanted to bring to that? No, I was just going to back that. I, I'm on Dave's side. I can see where Broly might be on the spectrum, but I think the trauma that he endured is much more brought on by his father than anything because let's face it if there's a villain worse than frieza it's probably paragus just to clarify i don't think broly is literally on the spectrum here i'm just kind of using that as a symbolic gesture here i think i think broly's actual handicap is his power he was born with this immense amount of power that is uncontrollable even by his father's standards and this is the guy who abused him all his life. Do you think that was a plot mechanism to for the audience to see him in a more compassionate light? I think so, because I, I probably didn't notice it the first time I watched it in theaters. But watching it again for probably the third, fourth time, 
yeah, I see that as, I don't know if it's like just another way that we mentioned it a few episodes ago that we can, how we can use scenarios like Dragon Ball Z and other animes to relate or convey some kind of emotion that we all can relate with. Right. And I think we do need to be careful about, you know, what's actually there versus projecting. I mean, we're always going to look into these movies a little more than maybe what some others do. But I do like to think that there are the topics that we're bringing to the table, the abuse, the certain handicaps were on some level intentional somewhere. Because I mean, you know, as we as we all know, it takes a lot of people to make these movies. You really don't think all of these hundreds of animators, writers, etc. <laughs> someone didn't think, oh, you know what this is like? <laughs> and and I think that's what helps move these stories. Uh, I think that's what helps make these stories relatable. I think that's what helps uh, bring some sort of clout to these stories to talk about. Switching gears just a, a second here. I, Dave, you, you brought up that uh, Chilai was the main hero of the story. And I've always said that Broly is the main character of this movie because the majority of the movie focuses on him, getting to know him and building his character up. We already know who Goku and Vegeta are, so it doesn't spend too much time with them. But with the last movie, Dave, with Resurrection F, we left with the frustrating thematical conclusion that the characters didn't really learn anything. Uh, The second movie of this sort of trilogy sets up the idea that if Goku and Vegeta work together, they would be unstoppable, but they, they never did that in resurrection F and by, by, by the end, they happily refuse this notion altogether here. And it's not the first time she has done this, but here, because Broly is so overwhelming, they take time to learn the fusion dance, work together and fuse into Gogeta, who is truly just unreal in this movie. I mean, we talk about too much power, but there's a shot where Gogeta and Broly lock fists and literally shatter all of reality around them. I it blew my mind. But anyway, D- Dave, picking up where from where Resurrection F's ideas left off, did you feel Goku and Vegeta's arc had finally come full circle from that movie? I certainly appreciated that they tied a bow on it. <laughs> okay, um, all right. <laughs> I, I certainly appreciated that aspect. I mean, you even hear Weiss saying, oh, look at you two, you know, you're getting along or whatever. Yeah, I can't remember exactly what he said. Like, I always knew those kids would make it. Um, (laughs) Oh, my. (laughs) Oh, my. He did say, oh, my, didn't he? He was just totally crushing on Gogeta. But I think it's I don't think one instance is good enough to completely close the loop on it. Okay, if that makes sense. Like, obviously, Vegeta was very reluctant to (laughs) engage in this silly little dance that merges this person that he is frenemy of his. Right. Right. Uh, I I think, I think it was a very solid first step for sure. What, and I definitely appreciated that aspect of it, especially considering that was one of my major issues with resurrection F was that they didn't do that. And it's interesting to think about resurrection F. If we look at this from like a timeline perspective, right? This is after Resurrection F. I wonder how much the events of Resurrection F went into the internal dialogue that we didn't necessarily see that spawned the idea to fusion. Okay. Yeah. I can see where you're going with that. JR, what did you think? So if I remember correctly, they addressed it in the movie. This is after the Tournament of Power, which happened in the show. And that was... Seven fighters from seven different universes all working together in a battle royale. So, yeah, they did kind of have a, to use a little bit of teamwork. Although I don't see, uh, I don't remember Vegeta and Goku working together all that much. But yeah, they did learn a little bit of teamwork along the line. So I can see the stepping stones of leading up to the point where, yeah, we need to fuse. We need to have that, like, for a lack of better word, drift compatibility going on. (laughs) (laughs) I think, see, I kind of like to look at these three movies almost as like a a self-contained trilogy in some ways. Not to say that, you know, the show never happened. Obviously, they they referenced the events in the show. But you can almost watch all three without really having to watch Super, you know? I like the idea that, you know, in, in... 
this movie, Goku and Vegeta, they fuse into Gogeta, create this like incredible warrior that gives us probably the best animated battle in the franchise's history. And uh, you have Whis going, oh my, and you know they are finally learned to work together. And uh, even Beerus at the tail end mentioned how I knew I knew they'd finally get it right or something. So kind of looking at it as a self-contained trilogy, I enjoy seeing that arc kind of play out a little bit more. And in terms of just like the movie itself, well, it you know they come together, they work together, they fuse together, and you know the day is one. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I really enjoyed it as kind of its own contained developmental uh, process for these characters. They, they did it. They finally got there. They finally fused together as far as we're concerned with these three movies and they've, they've learned to work together. Obviously there will be more Dragon Ball. I get that. I understand that, but I do appreciate the sort of closed loop that it attempted with with this movie i'm gonna take a, a turn at this if it wasn't for broly i think this movie should have should be renamed dragon ball super sins of the fathers because it begins with four fathers king cold king vegeta paragus and bardock all of them molding their sons into their own vision of their dreams king cold obviously wanted to see his legacy and rule over the galaxies pass onto his son frieza Unfortunately, due to his ruthlessness, arrogance, and sadism toward life itself, Frieza's actions inadvertently led to the rebirth of the Super Saiyan and his demise, and the rest is history. King Vegeta, who was beaming with pride about his son, Vegeta IV, being born with a <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> high, high power level, dreamt of his son becoming the true ruler of the galaxies instead of Frieza. However, Prince Vegeta took a long, hard, and bumpy road to character development and becoming a native of the planet Earth and becoming a happily married man and father. Actually, if you think about it, Vegeta did marry one of the richest and brightest women on Earth, so I guess he technically lives like a king, just not a vicious one. And Bardock, Bardock I think was probably the most lenient of the fathers, and and he just wanted his low-level class son, Kakarot, to survive and live on. Instead, Goku becomes the first Super Saiyan in thousands of years to be reborn, and then the first Super Saiyan God in millennia to be reborn, and nearly had his entire universe erased due to the fact that he wanted to fight stronger warriors in other universes, resurrecting Frieza to fight alongside, and not having a single inkling of what that might have cost. Way to go, anime Jor-El. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to make a Jor-El joke. And then can we can it. we yeah, <laughs> now that we're now that we're talking about this can we finally say that Goku is the anime for Superman? I mean, let's face it. In this version of Broly, his parents send him off in a spaceship to flee a dying planet where he lies on Earth, and he becomes one of the strongest fighters there is. Superman. Yeah, I want to get to that point too, but ha- hang on. I was kind of in a moment there, Jr. Well, you made a oh. Jarrell comment, so I jumped in. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. I'm keeping yep. all of this. <laughs> you should. I regret nothing. Now, a lot of you think that Broly is the most is a tragic character in this in this movie, which, to a point, I I agree. But for me, I think Paragus was the most tragic character in the, in the whole movie because. He truly believed that his son Broly, with his unusual gifted power, was his only chance of revenge and probably eventual peace. I don't know. And in fact, he's the only living father to actually raise his son. It did make me wonder what sort of obstacles Paragus had to go through bef- before Broly was born. I mean, like I said, you mentioned how much Broly was abused, and I'm wondering if Paragus was raised the same way. I mean, in the movie, he was given the rank as colonel, but was still, like, tossed aside with almost no respect, considered as a commoner or a low-class warrior, according to King Vegeta. So I guess when Broly was born with his unusual high power level, Paragus saw his son as his saving grace and his ticket for future possibilities. I don't know. Clearly things didn't go the way they planned, as Broly was exiled and Paragus resides with him on the abandoned planetoid Vampa with no water, dry and hot weather, and giant snake dogs. 
Stilpericus raised and trained Broly to become this ultimate weapon one day in hopes of getting his revenge on King Vegeta or any of his descendants. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that Pericus himself was also abused in a way. There's a saying like, prepare your child for the path instead of the path for your child. And the, the movie goes to show you that not every parent's dream comes true through their child. The child has to make their own dreams and choices. It shows us that we are not our parents and we don't have to carry their burdens or grudges into our lives. If anything, we can we can be better than them in any form or fashion. And I, I think that's what real what any real parent wants for their child. And the only parent in that whole movie that showed these traits was none other than Bardock. And I want to talk about Bardock for a little bit. Bardock's story is one of my problems I had in the movie. And, and Bardock, the father of Goku, he didn't give two flips about either of his sons. He was what I would call like a regular textbook Saiyan. He was ruthless, he was strong, and his only desire was to fight. He's eventually gifted and cursed with the ability to see the into the future, and he not only sees the death of his homeworld, but the life of his son, Goku, and what he would become. And this eventually leads Bardock into trying to save his home in hopes of changing the future, obviously with no success, but as he's dying, Bardock sees a vision of Goku facing Frieza, and he smiles, and you know that even though Bardock started out as a jerk in the beginning, he died as a changed man. And Broly, he doesn't have the ability to see the future, his armor is different, and he finally, and we finally get to see his wife and the mother of Goku, Gine. The two of them plan on sending Goku off to planet Earth because Bardock suspects Frieza is about to annihilate the Saiyan race, basically turning this into a Superman Kal-El origin story, which I, I strongly did not like and disagree with the writer's choice on that. Now, if Gine was the one that sent Goku off and Bardock dealing with the visions in the future, I, I think that would have been interesting, but I did like how they kept Bardock being the lone renegade warrior trying to fight off Frieza's men and his death ball. I mean, Bardock knew he was going to die, and he knew that it was pointless to try and stop it, but he did it anyway for the sake of his planets, and I, I think that trait was definitely passed on to Goku. Um, Backing up just a little bit here, you mentioned that you think Paragus is more tragic than Broly. I, I can't agree with you there. I think what Paragus did to Broly is far more tra tragic, and and despite what happened to Paragus, that that doesn't excuse how he treated Broly, who didn't want to be part of this at all. It, it, it's now I do agree. What was the quote you said about fathers? Could you say that again? Because I really like that. Oh, prepare your child for the path instead of the path for your child. Right. I did like that. I I agree with you that this is a movie where Paragus does one and not the other and really messes up in that regard that I see. And I understand that I find it hard to sympathize with Paragus because I think he's using Broly more as a blunt instrument, but I do see the relation, the, the dots you're connecting from his, you know, high standing <laughs> origin where he, he, where he once stood with, with uh, the King and whatnot to, being reduced to what he became on that, you know, planet with snake dogs and whatnot. And in regards to Bardock, I mean, you're spot on. I, I didn't really appreciate the rewrite that Akira Toriyama did with that. Sort of wish they just weaved in Bardock, father of Goku, the TV special into this. It was far more interesting, but eh, you're right. Japanese Jor-El. Yeah, I'm on the side with G here. I don't really sympathize for Paragus at all. It, like he said, he was using him. Um, as a blunt object, just to say, oh, hey, I've got power I can control, so I'm going to face it your way. But, gee, Dave, Reb, you might remember this. Do you guys remember very long ago where we watched that video of the dad driving his truck alongside the kid trying to train him for football? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. That poor that, boy. That's exactly what I thought felt like Pegasus or Perius was doing in this. Is just training him <laughs> for something he doesn't want to do. He has no quarrel with Vegeta at all. Yet you're gonna play for the Cowboys. You're gonna do what I say. <laughs> so that just that that image popped in my head, and I'm like, no, I don't like you. 
I'm not saying sympathize with Paragus. I'm saying understand why Paragus did all that. I mean, I'm not saying excuse Paragus what of what he did, but just understand why he did it and just be like, okay, that still is wrong. You shouldn't do that to your kid. In no way am, am I suggesting grow any sympathy for Paragus. He doesn't deserve it at all. But at the same time, it's, it's a, a learned behavior. Yeah, pretty much. Switching over to the kind of technical side of the movie, uh, since we, we've really, I mean, we've about analyzed the crud out of this one. The animation director for this one was uh, Naohiro oh, oh, uh, Shintani. Oh, oh, oh. And and you're exactly the person I'm going to for this, Rebecca. Hold on. So uh, Shintani brought, he brought this unbelievable look to the movie. I've never seen Dragon Ball animated this, uh, well, uniquely before. Yeah, it's unlike anything I've ever seen. The animation was more fluid. It had less lines and details, but it moved like water. And even though, even if you couldn't always follow the battle scenes, which is probably the best battle scene in the entire franchise, which is saying a lot, even if you couldn't always follow it, there's no denying what you were looking at was gorgeous. Rebecca, could you kind of talk a little bit about Shintani and his animation style here and what we're looking at? Because the franchise has never looked this way. I would be delighted. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so, first of all, I remember being in college and being taught the 12 principles of animation. Number one, squash and stretch. Number two, anticipation. Three, staging. Four, straight ahead action and pose to pose. Five, follow through and overlapping action. Six, ease in, ease out. Seven, arcs. Eight, secondary action. Nine, timing. 10, exaggeration, 11, solid drawing, and 12, appeal. I was going to give you a brief definition and example of each of those principles, but to save time and interest, I didn't. This has been Rebecca's Fanboy 50. I just want everyone to appreciate her <laughs> Fanboy 50 for today. Was, was that 50 seconds? Uh, we can just cut one out. <laughs> anyway, the point I'm making here is that every animated movie consists of of all of these principles, but Dragon Ball Super Broly, I think it went beyond the 12. You know the scene where Gogeta and Broly were fighting so hard that they shattered the very fabric of reality and time? Oh, yes. I think they might have unlocked a 13th principle of animation. <laughs> and what better movie to do that than DBZ? Everything was so chaotic and fluent at the same time. Usually when that happens, you get a massive headache because a lot of times it's not done right. But during the first fight with Broly and Vegeta, along with Goku, F Frieza, and Gogeta, they, they were all digitally drawn. Not traditionally, digitally drawn. Yes, there were some 3D animation effects in between some fights, but overall it was, it was like being on a roller coaster ride. And for the first time in DBZ history, you actually see what it's like to fight Goku through Broly's point of view. And that, that was digitally drawn. I, I'm just, oh what, my Rebecca, gosh. Could you, could you elaborate on what you mean by digitally drawn? Because I'm, I'm, you're losing me. Okay, when I'm talking about digitally, I'm talking about digitally drawn like they use a Cintiq Wacom pad, computer screen. They draw on okay. the screen. Okay, yeah. okay, 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 okay. Yeah. Like what you do with your pad. Yeah, like what I do with my drawings. And traditionally, they, they use... They, they would actually use paper and paint and sketch out or draw out frame by frames with actual paper. But this one, they use a software on their computer to draw on the screen. And that's that's digitally drawn. Now, Hiro Shitani, he, he's mostly famous for the anime One Piece and the recent movie uh, One Piece Film Z, which at first I thought was a crossover between One Piece and DBZ, but... No, it turns out Z is the name of a character. Anyway, Shitani also provided the key animation for the 2008 OVA Dragon Ball, Yo, Son Goku and His Friends Return. Really? Really. Yeah, I, I don't remember it looking quite as not, fluid. Not quite as fluid. He, remember, he just did the key animation. He didn't. He wasn't the animation supervisor. Oh, but, oh okay, I got you. And, and 10 years later, he was handpicked by Toriyama himself to be the animation supervisor for Dragon Ball Super Broly. Shintani even admitted that this was the first time he was drawing anything Dragon Ball using his own style alone. 
In fact, he he's a real fan of Dragon Ball to begin with. Like like us, he was introduced to the anime before the, before the manga, and every year he he and his older brother would go to the movies and see the new films that came out in theaters, and I thought that was sweet. And so it's no wonder the film looked so natural and beautiful. He's he's been studying these films and anime for ages. He, he clearly is doing something he loves, and it definitely shows. I, I just oh my gosh. I can't get enough of that. I'm if this animation was a person, I would I would give it a hug. A really big <laughs> hug. <laughs> I would like him to come back for the show if they bring back the show. Yes. I please. It, it's I've never seen the franchise look like this before. And I was sitting there in theaters going, This is this is how you do it. This is this is how you make use of a theatrical Dragon Ball film. It was it was gorgeous. Yeah, and he Shintani also admitted that he wasn't sure how to animate muscular muscular characters. He was so used to drawing slender and thin characters, like in his like in his anime uh, One Piece with a uh, Luffy, I think is his name. Yeah, but but he managed to pull it off, uh, uh, like combining slenderness and muscular. And he managed to pull it off. I mean, there there were some like some scenes where it, it did look a little. Uh, I don't want to say chunky. No, uh, it's oh, what's the word? Uh, Big boned. Yeah, there's something. I don't know. <laughs> Loaded. Stocky. No, not stocky. Just very crunched up, like crunched up muscles together. I mean, they're but still, uh, you don't see that. You ignore that from the from the animation. It's done. He's done and. And I read somewhere that he keeps, he makes sure that uh, the animated scenes where everybody's doing normal stuff in everyday life, he keeps it like like one shade or something, or keeps it very minim- minimal shading. But when it's fighting time and you're really engaged into the fight, it you can you can definitely see that he put a lot more effort into the shading and the lighting and definitely the the lines. If you do, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Enough. No. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Dave. No, I get. It. I mean, so he had he put more detail into the you know the actual fight scenes, and as far as like the more conversational scenes, he he kept it more static. Yeah, he used minimal shading and lighting. So, but when it came to fighting and engaging battles, he was he was spot on. It was oh my gosh, it was awesome, man. It was awesome. Rebecca's about to explode. Just, you know what else was awesome? What was awesome? Bulma. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's not what I expected at um, all. <laughs> I just want to take a second to appreciate the guts that Bulma has in all of these oh. movies. Oh. <laughs> like, she's talking to Beerus, this god of destruction, <laughs> before flying off. Beerus is saying, no, I'll just stay here. And she's like, oh, well, thanks for taking care of him. And she hands off the baby and then she just flies away, making Beerus a babysitter. What? <laughs> I mean, is it really a surprise to anybody? Welcome to Piccolo's world. It's just- I just thought that was beautiful. And on the subject of Bulma, I thought it was interesting the way that they, there was this vanity comparison between Bulma and Frieza. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> Where Frieza wanted the Dragon Balls for growing five centimeters taller and any higher would be too noticeable, just wouldn't be natural. Bulma wanted the Dragon Balls for looking five years younger anymore. And it's too noticeable. Wouldn't be natural. <laughs> I gotta say, I gotta say, I can, uh, I can finally relate to Frieza. I, I would like to grow five centimeters taller. Not, not words. Okay, since we're on this topic, <laughs> Frieza was the main thing that I disliked the most in this movie, and because he he lost all his teeth, we go from this terrifying amalgam of a walking metaphor for the worst traits in humanity. You know, the last the last Dragon Ball episode we covered how he's a tyrant, a fascist, a racist, a genocidal murderer, and here he's kind of a joke. He doesn't want the Dragon Balls for immortality. He wants it as a gag. That he, they conveniently remove all the things that make Frieza scary in this movie, with the exception of his manipulation tactics. And what's worse is Gogeta lets him go. 
he lets him go. Earlier in the movie, Vegeta said he was prepping for Frieza's return. Then Gogeta lets him go. That had to be Goku's dumb half because I have a hard time believing Vegeta wouldn't have blown him to pieces. I could partially agree with that, meaning I can agree with the part with where you know they let him go. I think it was in character for Frieza to use the Dragon Balls on a, as you put it, gag. What? Uh, I, <laughs> okay, go on, go on. <laughs> it's, it speaks to his insecurities. Like, he is an insecure person, and that is part of the reason why he commits these atrocities is because of his own insecurities. It fits in for me. It works for me. Okay. All right. That's that is the most solid defense I've heard for that. So thank you for that. I just find it both hilarious and eerily disturbing that both Balma and Frieza almost have an eerily same like mindedness. I mean, it's humorous, but at the same time, it's kind of worrisome. I don't know. My theory is that they were trying to give a humanizing element to Frieza by making that not so subtle line between him and Bulma. Maybe hmm. that's hmm. that's my half baked theory that I just thought up of just now. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with Dave on uh, the wish because I th- I thought it was very in character for Frieza just to be so vain about something as petty as height because where they're like oh so you're gonna wish for immortality oh no i don't want to be immortal i was stuck in hell for all that time immortal is just awful and then so you're not gonna wish for not being able to take damage well where's the fun in that i think it's very in frieza to be like yeah i'm short i've heard people laughing about it and i killed them for it i i I also think it's gonna be quite humorous if he ever does get that wish and be like have the men talk you know hey did you hear frieza had to wish for five centimeters just to grow taller (laughs) i can't wait for the sequence where that takes into effect because i know that they're gonna just like amplify the drama to it for five centimeters (laughs) 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 With, 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 with this like like with this epic background music and everything, I can I can see it in my head. <laughs> Sky growing dark, and then the like the noises of Shinron coming forth, and it's really ba 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 ba, and he's just like beep. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even like a dramatic, like slowly growing. It's just a little beep. Also, I think Freeze's teeth are still in this movie. However, I like the idea of all the crap that Frieza's taken out over the years coming back on him and ha- him like having to take on Broly by himself for at least an hour and a half. <laughs> I loved that. <laughs> I, I think that's poetic justice. Not quite to the point where he's atoning for everything that he's has said and done. But the fact that he gets the crap beat out of him by an hour at his ultimate form makes me very happy. I'm so glad that you brought that up. So glad. Because speaking of length of time, I want to talk about this insanely <laughs> long fights, fight, this, this insanely long battle at the end of this. And I happened to have a stopwatch handy while I was watching this. So I could time... <laughs> exactly how much action not like breathing time hard action that we get in the last half of this movie so come with me on a journey here (laughs) (laughs) wait 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 wait, wait. you stopwatched the fight sequences in this i did (laughs) okay (laughs) so the initial fight starts with a 16 minute sequence featuring the first bout with broly vegeta and gotoku uh, they pause briefly for about two minutes, and then they fight for another four minutes before instant transmissioning to Piccolo to learn how to do their fusion. And then four minutes later, they instant transmission back to battle as Gogeta. We get Gogeta in this in this fight to wrap up the battle after uh, another nine minutes. And we talked a lot about the animation during that piece there. And um, to make a, a funny, what I think is a funny joke, 
Um, I'm pretty sure Aha was responsible for the visuals in that fight sequence, but instead of hearing Take On Me, we get <laughs> Go for Broly! Go for Broly! Gogeta! Gogeta! <laughs> I mean, what is that? <laughs> but, you know, after, after nine minutes of that, the fight finally ends. So fight starts at 54 minutes in, and then at hour 30, we get the punctuation mark. <laughs> So the wait, Dave, the the fight between Gogeta and Broly, how long does that last? Nine minutes. So there is clearly time, because fusion lasts thirty minutes. So there is clearly time for uh Gogeta to take out Frieza. Well uh, screen we don't, screen time. Screen time. We don't know how long those nine minutes were actually in film. I mean you know, Frieza was apparently fighting Broly for four minutes in the film, but those four minutes were actually an hour, an hour, <laughs> an hour and a half. <laughs> apparently. Yeah, exactly. More actually, more because the fusions, while well, fusion lasts thirty minutes, there's also a cooldown period before you can actually fuse again, which is thirty minutes. I don't know. And I don't know how long the cool time downtime is, but I, I was, I'm thinking Frieza, Frieza was probably getting. His uh, face re-rage for two hours at least. (laughs) And I think I think the best part is that neither Goku, Vegeta, nor Piccolo were in a rush. They were taking their time (laughs) to get the not to get this because right (laughs) when they when they flew past him, Goku goes, "It's all yours, Frieza." That was just a, a a joy to watch. That was that was so much fun. That was, it was just a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun, and I I do appreciate the whole movie. I had a lot of fun watching the whole movie. I think I got a lot of, a lot out of the entire movie, and uh, I hope I hope we get more like that out of the franchise very soon. Definitely, the I mean we talked about it before, but I mean, this far surpasses what we got in the DP, the DBZ Broly. Because for me, the story behind the DBZ Broly was basically an animated adaptation of John Rambo, John Rambo <laughs> incomprehensibly crying at the end of Rambo. That's what that. Entire <laughs> story like. But in this, it was much more, it had a lot more depth to it, which I appreciate, you know, the effort. So thanks. <laughs> yeah i guess since we're kind of winding down i have a question for you guys just out of pure what was your favorite moment or favorite line from this uh movie (laughs) i think rebecca wants to go um (laughs) it's so it's so goku and frieza at the same time when frieza lands on earth and he Introduces Paragus and Broly to Goku and Vegeta. <laughs> he talks about um, the planet they were on and how repugnant it is. And Goku gives his long stare and asks, "I just got one question. What does repugnant mean?" <laughs> and you see the and you see the soldiers behind Frieza just just looking <laughs> and Frieza. <laughs> And Frieza, he knows Goku so well that he's like, it means something very... <laughs> he gives out the definition. And then that comes back again at the end of the movie when Goku comes and visits uh, Chile and, and Broly. He's like, I brought you some supplies. I heard this place was repugnant. <laughs> Like so proud that he's finally using his five dollar word. It's like those people that buy uh, those word a day di- uh, calendars. Today's word is repugnant. Try to use it in this situation. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious, and it was so Goku and and Vegeta just calls him. You're such a moron. <laughs> I mentioned it earlier, but mine is probably the guts on Bulma making Beerus the babysitter. <laughs> like I want to, I want to see a spinoff series where Beerus is a babysitter, like a very unwilling babysitter, and what happens in that house. <laughs> <laughs> Something less funny, but still equally awesome. Uh, it, it's hard to pick like a favorite moment from this movie because it's it's such a pretty movie, it's such a fun movie, and there's just a lot to get out of it. I really enjoyed the fact that Paragus 
and Broly wasn't aware that the legend of the Super Saiyan had come to fruition. And when Vegeta, who I admit doesn't really do a lot in this movie, he doesn't really have an arc, but when Vegeta powers up into just Super Saiyan again, there, there was just a, a brief moment where it brought back just the power and the awe of the legendary Super Saiyan, just the original one. And I really enjoyed the animation behind it. I enjoyed his whole fight with uh, Broly during it. And uh, it, it was just it was just a well-animated, very cool moment where and Paragus goes, Super Saiyan? But, but that's just a legend. And I'm just thinking, man, you are behind. <laughs> <laughs> Way behind. I really like that part too. It, it, I mean, it kind of reminds me of you know, in some superhero movies where you get to experience that initial joy of being a superhero, uh, yeah. that initial awe that you get, it, it had that, I guess, down to earth moment. All that to say, I liked that too. So mine is more of um, fan service, but I'm so glad I got to see him. Uh, I don't know the technical term for it, but a Kamehameha gun where Goku and Vegeta are back-to-back, and they use Kamehameha and Gallic Gun. Oh. Oh, I did love that. I did love that, where they yell their attacks, their their first attacks. Yeah, so all you together. hear is Kamehame, <laughs> and then you hear Vegeta finish off, Gun! Yeah. Uh, the second one is always been one of my favorite techniques, and I'm so glad they brought it back, is the uh, Stardust Breaker. Yeah. Uh-huh. uh-huh. How beautiful... <laughs> Is that move? I just like the way he he does it. How he holds his hand up and he kind of like one finger at a time closes his fist and right. then throws throws you know throws glitter at Broly. <laughs> pretty, pretty much. <laughs> oh my! <laughs> it's like a pocket sand technique. You just pull sand out of your and throw it in their eyes, and blind them. Another brief moment I do want to bring up, Jr. Regarding Gogeta is when he he dodges a, a punch from Broly and he does this thing with his hands. He like rolls his hands over one another real quick. Does yes, anyone know what I I'm do. talking about? I, do. I think yeah. I do. <laughs> I'm going, it's total Bruce Lee moment. Just Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, I think one of the animators or one of the, I read somewhere that somebody knew in the animation department knew martial arts. So they must have done a lot of referencing and a lot of, stock footage to get the timing rights and the fingers and the hands right so well yeah the reason the reason i brought that up is because in what was it you're gonna have to help me out the, the name of the movie but it it's uh the fight with janimba that's uh, his plan to no, fusion reborn no oh it's it's, yeah it was yeah fusion you're reborn. right you're right it's fusion reborn i'm sorry it was it was gogeta's final attack and it was kind of the final nail in the coffin but in this movie, it was it was so nonchalant that he did it. He just was like, <laughs> just kind of threw it like a baseball or something. <laughs> just it it just goes to show you, like you were saying earlier, we're talking about pure power in this movie. I mean, I could go back and circle and say Gogeta was probably the villain in this movie because he was gonna flat out kill Broly with no hesitation. You know, it's actually nice to know that Gogeta actually does something, says says more words than his last movie. Did he say anything in the last movie? Yeah. Uh, he said one line. He said one line I in the last movie. I am neither Goku nor Vegeta. I am Gogeta. It is over, Janemba. I come for you. And that was it. And something every attack you have is like a bad echo or something, and you're, it'll be un- your undoing. I don't know. Just justice yeah <laughs> sounds about as profound as the background music Gogeta. Gogeta. <laughs> you know dave it's funny you keep mentioning the the score for this movie because while, while that the chanting was a bit much i actually think the themes in it were quite good particularly broly's mm-hmm. I, I did like it i just i just i just like to make fun of the chanting because it was excessive <laughs> it, it was excessive. it's like it's it like excessive. just in case you forgot who's here broly and Gogeta. <laughs> I mean, are we going to really compare that to last last podcast where we got Frieza, 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 Frieza? He has a point. <laughs> okay, alrighty then. Let's wrap this up in a nice pretty bow. Do we have any fanboy 50s or poorly pitched we like to talk about? 
So I had the pitch pitch last time. For, for those who uh, don't recall what it was, here it is. There's this revolutionist that survives the post-apocalypse after a virus wipes out a good portion of the population. He and those close to him try to live in peace, but opposing factions constantly cause tension. At one point, one of his own men shoots him and frames the opposing faction in order to start a war. The revolutionist turned leader is not dead, however, and recovers with the help of a once thought opposing force and races against the clock to stop a war. What do they pitch? Is this a movie or a TV show? Yeah, it's a movie. <laughs> I, I, I'm i going to say Mad Max. Uh, World uh, War Z? No. Anyone else? Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Ding. Ding. What? Ding. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> I am floored. I am too. I am too because I just realized what it was when you just told me. <laughs> I actually haven't seen it. I haven't seen oh, it either. Oh, Dave. I didn't know that. I'm sorry. I, I had assumed you had. I'm sorry. It's okay. I haven't seen it either. <laughs> but JR, well done. Very well. Thank done. you. I, I'm actually proud that somebody got one of these right in our what ninth episode. I, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I got your weird out one. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You did. So I'll give you a poorly pitched for you to ponder. A group of kids are sent to an island to battle out till there's only one winner, but for one. The stakes are higher than the rest. Poorly pitched. Pitch, pitch. Perfect pitch. All the above. Obligatory, huh? Obligatory. Underpants. (laughs) 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 Underpants. (laughs) Underpants. We have too much fun. I know. I know. If, this is so ridiculous. If there is one word that gets us derailed, it's underpants. <laughs> underpants. <laughs> Welcome to the dress space where we all act like children. Underpants. <laughs> where we still laugh at a joke that was made over 20 years ago. <laughs> and Rebecca's brought out the pterodactyl. <laughs> and the Grievous. And the Grievous. <laughs> General Kenobi. Okay. I got a fanboy 50. <laughs> Why did you sound like a drunk Orson Welles when you said that? Fanboy 50. <laughs> I got a fimp with 50. <laughs> George, I got a grand idea, George. Hey, everybody, hey, everybody, hey, everybody. I, I got a, 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 a fanboy 50. Right, shut up, shut up and listen to me. No, you're not listening. Shut, shut up. <laughs> Oh God. <laughs> the last 20 minutes of this is just going to be us laughing. Yeah, I'm sorry, Dave. I'm t- <laughs> <laughs> Joke's on you. I'm not cutting anything. <laughs> what is your fanboy 50, Rebecca? Alrighty. You ready? More than less. Go. So hopefully you all know that I have a DeviantArt account, and currently I'm going to enter into a contest called OCC Radical Racer Challenge. It's where you draw out your own original racer, a radical racer, and the objective of this contest is to include the racer and three original elements, the transportation, the lucky charm, and their special trick. Now, I've already designed my racer and her lucky charm and the special trick. And I've just sketched out vehicular transportation ideas and need to just ink that out and add color and effects, of course. So if you're wondering why I haven't been uploading new artwork lately, it's because I've been working on this contest. I'm kind of on the clock. Time. On this one. 
Neat. Speaking of clock, uh, <laughs> but why don't you go ahead and finish plugging that? Because I think that's important. Yeah, I think so too. I, I'm kind of on the clock with this one because the submission ends on July 22nd at 11.59 p.m. and 59 seconds. No, it, it, that's what it really says. It's really fun to draw out, and I'm kind of excited to submit this one, and I don't know if I'll win, and, but we'll see what happens. In the meantime, I'm just doing what I love to do, and it's drawing. So, yeah. Uh, anybody else? I got one. I got you, Dave. Okay. I got you. All right, you ready? Yeah. Set. Go. You guys know this, but I'm a huge horror fan. And to me, no one does horror as well as Japan and South Korea. There's a level of artistry and meaning that I feel have been lost in modern American horror flicks. Thematically, there's a lot more depth to them. And I've got a Shutter subscription, which is basically Netflix with horror movies from around the world. It actually has what I consider to be the best horror television show, Channel Zero. I'll geek about that some other time. But I saw a new South Korean horror movie from Kim Hong Seon, and it's a possession flick. Uh it, it features a priest in the wake of a tragically and brutally failed exorcism and a shape-shifting demon takes form on family members. And what I really like about it is the messaging there is really well executed. It talks about the why behind why they uh, inhabit certain victims, the root cause being anger and how that paralyzes reason. And Time. The, okay. It's Metamorphosis is the name of the movie, by the way. It's really good. Oh, okay. All right. That's 52 seconds, but okay. <laughs> I'll cut that out then. <laughs> Why don't you go, fancy pants? All right. All right. I'll go. All right. Ready? Set. Go. So. Obviously, I'm extraordinarily excited about the prospect of Michael Keaton returning as Batman. It's been on my mind a lot. So as a result, I've rewatched the two Tim Burton Batman movies with Michael Keaton. And what I've, you know, I, I've always loved the first movie. I, I love the way it looks. I love the set designs, production designs, costumes. I love the feel to it. Uh, it, it's just a great fun movie. But I also revisited Batman Returns, the direct sequel for the first time in many years and fell in love with that movie again. It's actually really well made. I enjoy the, uh, the atmosphere to it. It's kind of silly over the topness that's uh, taken so seriously and fun. Uh, just great movies. I've enjoyed again and worth watching again. Time. Boom. Nailed it. So on the note of Batman, uh, how do you feel about the Schumacher cut for Batman forever? I mean, I don't think we'll ever see it, but I I personally would love to. I've seen the sequence where uh, Bruce Wayne confronts the giant bat. Mm-hmm. Kind of yeah, head. I saw that too. And yeah, I mean, that's a great sequence. I really, really wish was put into the film. I thought it would have added a lot more to the Bruce Wayne character. But, uh, you know, McDonald's had to ruin things for us, and so they <laughs> kept it light. But that's okay. We got a kiss from a rose from Seal. This is true. We did get kissed from the roof. <laughs> Let me clarify for everybody who's listening right now. There has been said that there is a much darker cut of the Batman Forever Joel Schumacher cut that has just been lost to ages. Or not lost to ages, but it's it's basically the Zack Snyder cut of Justice League. So that's what we're talking about. Uh, once again, I don't think we'll ever see the light of it, but it's out there. And that scene we're talking about is actually in the deleted scenes on Batman Forever. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. What, was okay, that your yeah. Game Boy 50? <laughs> yes, that was, that was my 50 seconds. Wasn't right, any great timing. <laughs> Set. Go. My favorite book is actually getting a sequel. I don't know really how I feel about this. It is Ready Player Two by Ernest Klein. The release date is November 24th this year. Once again, don't know how I really feel about it because the first one was so good and ended on such a good note. Second of all, I'd like to give out a shout to The Ultimate Spin. They're a podcast that covers Spider-Man, more specifically Gwen Stacy and Miles Morales. I want to thank these guys for reigniting my love for Spider-Man. And they have a classic take on Spider-Man. He's not uh, radioactive spider bite. 
it's injected with the serum of super soldier. So they're trying to create a new uh, Captain America instead of like Spider-Man and Norman Osborn actually finds. Yeah. That's interesting. Yep. There you go. There you go. Well, yeah, I, I've, I've been listening to them a lot lately and they have definitely reignited my love for it. And I've, uh, I've picked up the miles, miles Morales run where after Spider-Man has died and it's, it's really good because it's, I was, I was all kind of mopey about it because I was like, nobody can replace Spider-Man, man, 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 Peter Parker, <laughs> but <laughs> it's kind of like Batman beyond where the life of Batman doesn't stop because it's somebody new, like this, the same tragic events that happened to Peter Parker happened differently, but they still happen to miles at the same time. So it's, it's an ongoing story for Spider-Man fans. And I, if you stopped reading because there was a new miles morale or new Spider-Man, you guys are missing out because it's a great, it's a great run. Okay. So that's pretty much wraps up our little podcast. Thank you all for joining us in our discussion of Dragon Ball Super. I'm your host, Rebecca. If you'd like to check check out some of my artwork, you can find me on the Linktree app. Uh, it's linktr.ee slash reb.hudge. And I'm Dave, and I do another geek pod with my fiance called Pizza and Parsecs, available on all your favorite podcasting platforms. And you can check us out on bit.ly backslash linkspmp for our website and socials. And I'm G. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Gman of Mysterioid for all your Godzilla, Kaiju, and Tokusatsu needs. And I'm JR, where you can find me on Instagram. I do cosplays at Little Man Cosplay. And we are the Drift Space. You can check out our show on bit.ly slash tdslinks, where you can find us on all your favorite podcatchers. If you like what you've heard, share it with, with a friend, then you both can hit us up on our socials at The Drift Space. Geek out with us and just say, hey, we'd love to hear from you. And as always, thanks for listening and for our for support. Stay nerdy, my friends. Thanks. Go, Dave. Go, JR. Go, G. Go, 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 go